Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, first book of the New Testament, first chapter. So we have been looking at this chapter, this Christmas season, considering really Christmas and family, and the family of Jesus. We've looked at the lineage and the Lord's working there. This morning I want us to consider the life of Joseph. How many of you participated in, in a children's Christmas program in church growing up? Many of you. The, playing the different parts. You know, I, I, remember, I remember those programs well, the Saturday morning rehearsals that we would have at our church. It was just a great time for all of us to get together with, as kids. And then Sunday night would be that program. Uh, wasn't the highest quality, but it certainly was memorable. And the, the different roles, you know, the shepherds would be there. They would usually come in their bathrobes. The wise men would be there. They had nicer bathrobes. The, the angels had costumes that were made out of either white bathrobes or sheets with, with gold around them, and, and then wondering who's going to get to play the different parts. You know, you, you knew certain people just should not play the angel part. <laughs> that wasn't going to work. The people in the congregation knew them too well. Uh, the, the shepherds were, you know, a great spot. And then one of the, seems like one of the key roles would be who would play Mary. And that was kind of a special position. And then there was the role of Joseph. It rarely was a speaking part, unless maybe he had one line asking if there was room in the inn. But other than that, it was a part that you're just kind of there. Um, and, and so he wasn't really that involved. Though I did hear of one Christmas program in a church where, where the boy that got the part of the innkeeper had really wanted the part of Joseph. And he was jealous about it. And he wasn't real happy, but he didn't say anything until the program was being played out uh, at that church. And when Joseph knocked on the door and asked the question, is there any room in your inn? You know, his answer was supposed to be, no, I'm sorry, there's no room in the inn. But he was, he was going to use this to get his opportunity. And he said, well, yes, I have a room available. You're certainly glad to have it. And Joseph, thinking very quickly on his feet, stuck his head in the door and said, there's no way I'd let my wife stay in a place like this. We'll sleep in the barn. <laughs> now, whether Joseph was quick on his feet or not, we really don't know. What we find in Joseph, though, was really that he was a man of character and compassion. And that's what I want us to consider this morning in looking at the, the family Christmas, the lessons that we can learn from, from Joseph. Joseph tends to be almost that forgotten person in the Christmas story. You know, I, I kind of assume he was an introvert, stayed in the background, but you know, more comfortable with his carpenter's tools than he was in a crowd. But that's really only because we have so little about him. It's difficult to see him as much more than a silent figure, that, almost that carved figurine that balances out the nativity scene. 
How many, how many Christmas songs reference Joseph? Not very many. I, I did a quick skim through our hymnal and the, the Christmas songs we have, and, and I found one reference to Joseph. And, and it was almost like he was really there just to balance the meter of the poetry. It was in Angels We Have Heard on High, Mary, Joseph, lend your aid. It's like, yeah, Joseph's there because it's needed to get enough syllables in this line. You know, even the oxen are mentioned more than Joseph in our Christmas songs. Of course, Mary, the angels, the shepherds, Bethlehem, the wise men. Joseph we might think of as a man of few words. But from a scriptural perspective, he's a man of no words. We have no statement in scripture of anything that Joseph said. But his actions speak loudly. He was a man of character and he's worth considering because I think what we see in Joseph is that, that God used a faithful man to advance the gospel through Christ's inter- incarnation. And that's the theme that I want us to consider this morning from this passage of God using this faithful man. And that through this, the coming of earth, the coming to earth, the taking on human flesh of Jesus Christ, and, and then Joseph being that adoptive father. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 1, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 18. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being roused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. In this passage, we find, again, that very familiar story of the birth of Christ. We started last week in looking at the lineage and looked at at several things and some important lessons that when you read the lineage of Christ in the opening verses of this chapter, really, it's, it's not the way that most of us would begin a story. But we found some important aspects that in that we saw that the failures in the past did not mean that you cannot be a godly person in the present. We saw that in some of the lives of these individuals that that the Lord includes in His Word that that we probably would have dismissed. You know, there are are many skeletons in the closet of the lineage of, of Jesus. It was not a pure line. There are Gentiles in this line, Gentile women, and people with questionable morals. And yet we see that God used them. There are sinful men that God judged like Jeconiah, who would not have one of his seeds sit on the throne of David. 
And, and I think it's good for us to just reflect on that and realize, do not allow Satan to use problems in the past or failures in the past to defeat you in the present. He likes nothing more than to bring up things and say, well, you can't serve God. Well, we consider those who are serving God. The second thing that we saw, though, was that God's grace is at work in, in our lives regardless of our past. And through that lineage, we saw both the control, the providential control of God, but also His magnificent grace as this was displayed in the lives of these individuals. And I think it's a, a reminder for us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And, and it's important that we understand that because sometimes I, I know as parents, there, there's a timidity to address problems in children's lives because, well, you know, I had problems in my past. No, where you are today is because of the grace of God. And, and wisdom says we don't want our children to go that way. Have you ever thought of what Solomon's mom must have taught him? Because he wrote Proverbs, and, and he admonishes the son to listen to his mother and father. Who were his parents? David and Bathsheba. And this is the mom who was instructing Solomon. The lineage of Christ reveals God's control and His grace. And, and so as Matthew tells the, the, the gospel of the birth story of Jesus, we find several things that it's, it's really from the standpoint of Joseph rather than Mary. Now in Luke's gospel, we see the birth of Christ from Mary's perspective. But we're really finding it through, through Joseph's line and perspective in this chapter. And, and what we find is the word begot is used 39 times in, in 15 verses. But when you get to verse 16, the pattern changes. And one of the things I encouraged you is as you read genealogies where our eyes just kind of tend to glaze over, look for changes in the pattern because those are significant. We see that in verse 16. It says, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And, and the of whom there is actually in the Greek text feminine. So it's re referencing Mary, not Joseph. The, the story, though, is really a, a study in contrast and paradox. Moving from some unsavory, sinful characters in Jesus' lineage to, to this couple who are really seeking to be faithful. Mary and Joseph both were seeking to live lives of righteousness and purity. And what we see is God used a faithful man to advance the gospel. And so I want us to consider that this morning. Look first of all, the first thing I want us to see is that, that God used a person of developed character. We see this in, in, in Joseph. And I have shared with you, but just so we're all aware, the, the betrothal period in that culture was similar to our engagement, but much more serious. It was, a, it was a binding legal agreement. The betrothal was done with witnesses, and, and it was signed. This was, this was a binding commitment. It could only be broken by a divorce. So it was like an engagement, but the strings were much stronger. The, the couple was, was in many ways viewed as a married couple, but they did not live together. They did not consummate their, their relationship. The betrothal was really step one in the marriage process. So this would take place, and then the, the girl would stay with her family while the, the man would go and prepare a place for her. And then when he was ready, he would come and receive her. 
And so in, in Matthew chapter 25, the, the parable of the ten virgins and, and being ready for when the bridegroom comes and those that were not ready, and, and that was the picture there. It's, it's the picture that we find in John 14 when Jesus tells his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, they were expecting the kingdom to be established on earth. And what is being introduced there is the coming of the church age. That we as believers are part of the church and we are the bride of Christ. And so we wait for the bridegroom to come for us. That second coming that we are anticipating. And he, and he said, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself. Well, understanding that was part of their marriage culture in that day. And so the, we, we understand that. And, and when Jesus said that to his disciples, it's really foreshadowing what we saw in Ephesians about the church, that mystery that was revealed. Well, in this context, we found Joseph is preparing a place. He, there's that anticipation that, that is, when the time comes, he will go and receive his bride. And it's during that betrothal period that word comes to him that Mary is pregnant. And, and now we're going to see his character displayed. Because we find him to be, first of all, a man of integrity. Joseph exemplifies a person of integrity. It says in verse 19, being a just man. Just or, or righteous is the idea there. It does not mean he was sinless, but it means that he had upright character. He was trying to follow the law. He was, he was a faithful individual. It's a, it's a statement that he was obeying the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, and, and would try to keep God's commands. And then he would also be anticipate, anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Well, that theological anticipation of the coming Messiah now becomes a very personal reality. But he doesn't realize that right away. You know, at Christmas, most Americans know that we're celebrating the birth of Christ. But for many, his, his birth is nothing more than a pretty picture on a Christmas card or that figurines in a nativity scene. It's one thing to, to understand it mentally. It's one thing to try to be a good person it's another to allow Christ to impact your life. The coming of Christ is going to have a major impact on the life of, of Joseph. He was trying to be a righteous man. And now Jesus' birth is going to invade his space, his life, his home. And initially he doesn't understand what's going on. You know, this child that was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit is not told to him initially. How could he know? That's, that's, that would not be expected. And because he was righteous, he would have to do what was just. That meant there would be no wedding. He wouldn't go and receive her. That would not be the righteous thing to do. And, and he could not have that celebration. But not only was he a man of integrity, he was a man of compassion. And that's the second thing we see. It says, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example. In the Mosaic Law, back in Deuteronomy chapter 22, there were provisions given for a situation like this that occurred. If a betrothed woman was, was found with child, 
that she had been sexually immoral and been involved with another man, it, it actually is very specific in Deuteronomy 22, beginning in verse 23. It says, if this took place in the city, then both the man and the woman would be put to death. If the act took place in the country, only the man would be put to death. Well, that seems inconsistent. No, actually, it was very consistent. Because the point was, if she were in the city and she was attacked, she could cry out and others would hear and help. And if she didn't cry out, then there was a level of culpability. But if it took place in the country, there would be no one to hear her. And therefore, it was viewed as an assault, and the man was put to death, but she was allowed to live. Well, Joseph did not want to put her to death. And in that time, in that, the first century, that was not the normal procedure, though the law allowed for it, but they could be divorced. He could make her a public example. He could go to the city, he could declare, this is not my child, I divorce her, and make her a public example, humiliate her, but justify himself. But Joseph was a man of compassion. And while he had that opportunity to vindicate himself and humiliate her, he really took the high road and to err on the side of grace. He would do what was right, but also show compassion. And I think it's a wonderful example in the life of Joseph for us that we can stand for justice, but we can also do it with compassion. The, the grace and truth that come together. We must stand for righteousness, but we, we need to do it with the gentleness of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we need to do that in parenting. You know, some parents want to ignore sin and say, well, I'm being compassionate. No, but you also need to be just. Others correct, but they're very harsh about it. We need both. We need to correct, but we need that compassion. Jesus Christ is the example. He was full of grace and truth. What a comfort Joseph's character must have been to Mary when he does come for her. To see this man that, that has a concern that even when he didn't know, he was still considering her. This, this virgin who was very vulnerable. We know what happened, but Joseph didn't yet. It must have been a tender scene when he came to receive her. We also see that he was a man of purpose. It says in verse 20, well, he thought about these things. Mentioned Matthew Henry's quote a couple weeks ago that God guides the thoughtful, not the unthinking. He was a man who pondered. He knew God's Word. He wrestled through the principles of the law and, and sought, how do I apply God's Word practically and faithfully, but also compassionately? So he applied the Scripture personally and practically. Folks, it's important that we know God's Word before the trials come. Because if we don't have that arsenal, if we don't have that, that reservoir of God's Word, when problems come, we're going to be struggling. We need, we need to have God's Word ready in our minds or we're going to lean to our own understanding rather than trust in the Lord with all our heart. We also see in Joseph, though, that he was a man of obedience. When he, when he has this Word come in the dream from the angel of the Lord, it says in verse 24, he did as the angels had commanded him. He responded with obedience he acted on principle even when the emotions were still raw. We need to allow God's Word to direct us by principle. Base our way on His Word and on His will. 
You know, do you want God's will? Well, then are you willing to respond to what you know is right today? Well, I want to be in God's will in the future. Are we doing it today? That means we we can't have those pockets of hidden sin. We have to be open to the Lord to work and willing to surrender the areas that, that sometimes we struggle. Joseph was a man of obedience. But we also see that he was a man of self-control. In verse 25, it says, He did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son. He went and took Mary as his wife. He went and got her. He took that next step of the, the marriage process. He went and received her as his wife. And they lived together as husband and wife, but they did not consummate their marriage until after the birth of Jesus. I think that's a tremendous statement of Joseph's self-control. You know, how often do people justify impurity by by arguing they love each other and they will be husband and wife someday? They actually were. And Joseph still protected her virginity to declare that virgin birth. Purity is important, and we see the picture of holiness and grace in this passage, that that Mary's purity was essential to the virgin birth, and yet in the lineage of Jesus, we have examples of impure people who were used of the Lord. And we see again the grace and truth that is personified in Jesus Christ. And we also see that Joseph was a man of faith. He did what he was told. And he called his name Jesus. This was a statement of his faith being on display, that that Jesus would be the Savior. And Joseph, too, needed a Savior. He would save his people from their sin. Joseph needed someone to save him from his sin. These are aspects of his character that I think we can see in this passage, but there there are some other things that we see as well, that God allows a person to experience difficulties. You know, by Jesus coming into the life of Joseph, he first of all created a personal crisis. The joy we celebrated at Christmas because of the coming of Christ actually created a major crisis in the life of Joseph. When he gets word, I mean, this was a couple in a culture where they would not have spent time together privately. They they really didn't have those opportunities. There would always be people around. And and so to to learn that she is pregnant was radically disruptive to his life. And now instead of preparing a home, Mary's going to need to prepare a nursery. And initially it's not going to be in Joseph's home. And and in Luke chapter 2, if you're familiar with the story, when they they come into the temple after the birth of Jesus, and and Simeon sees this baby and makes this wonderful proclamation of, of how he's seen God's salvation, and he makes the statement to Mary that there will be a sword that's going to pierce through her soul. I'm sure at that time Mary didn't realize all that that meant with his betrayal, with the crucifixion and all of this. But you know, it wasn't just Mary whose heart was pierced. It was Joseph. I mean, at this point, his heart is broken. His life is in shambles. That When he learned of her pregnancy, and and isn't it interesting in the story, when Mary learns of this, when she gets word from the angel, part of that is that her relative, Elizabeth, is also expecting And she was past childbearing age. 
And Mary immediately leaves Nazareth, travels south of Jerusalem into the hill country of Judea to be with Elizabeth, her relative. You know, do you think that the word of her pregnancy created a stir in Nazareth? One of the things I find fascinating in the story is we read nothing about Mary's mother. I mean, was her mother living? Or was the relationship so difficult and strained that she could talk to a relative but not her mom? Because she leaves Nazareth and travels a long way through Jerusalem, maybe up the Mount of Olives. Did she stop in the Garden of Gethsemane? We don't know. But she probably would have gone through Jerusalem to go to be with Elizabeth, somebody that she could talk to. And it, it just raises questions in my mind. What was her home like? That the person that she can pour out her heart to is not anywhere in Nazareth. This, these are people who experience difficulties. The second thing is Jesus caused emotional confusion. I wonder how many sleepless nights Joseph had before the angel shows up. You know, how often did he toss and turn on his bed and start to doze off and only to be startled awake with the jarring realization of this news that he'd received that, that the woman he loved was pregnant and he was not the father. These dreams of a life with her were shattered and became his nightmares. You put, put yourself in his sandals. Everything he knew about Mary to this point was that she was a virtuous woman. He had never questioned her character until now. You know, what emotions did he experience? Was it doubt, hurt, confusion, frustration, anger, all of the above and even more? And even then, he didn't want to believe it, but how could he not? Why didn't God spare him that turmoil? If this angel would have come earlier and just said, hey, I'm giving you a heads up, this is going to rock your world, but I want you to know what's coming. God didn't do that. He allowed him to go through that for a reason. And we may not know all of those reasons why his heart was, was wrenched with agony, the sleepless nights, if he could have just had that message earlier. And we may not know the specifics, but we know the character of God, that he is a God who works all things together for good to those who love him. That he's not going to waste hurts that he brings into our lives. That those, those difficulties, those traumas that we all experience in life, that word we get that we didn't anticipate, whether it's, it's family members, whether it's a health issue, whether it's some other issue, the death of a loved one or a close friend. That, and Lord, why? Well, he will be there. He gives the grace and comfort. He will never leave us or forsake us. But if he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, he's going to do whatever it takes to conform us to the image of his son. Have you ever been betrayed or hurt by someone that you loved? That's what Joseph is experiencing. And, and the emotions before, and then what emotions came with this angelic message? He, he was stunned to learn he was completely wrong in his assumptions, and his assumptions were, were what should have been expected. He must have been elated. But the truth is, he was still going to be under a cloud of suspicion by other people. 
And so the third thing that we see is that Jesus brought a life of lifelong disgrace. For the rest of his life, Joseph will live under the cloud. The fact that he married Mary, that he probably was the father. Or if he wasn't, that he had been duped into this. Because what's everybody else going to think? We know what they thought. In John chapter 8, we read it. The religious elite, when, when Jesus is telling them that they're, and basically in that context, he's telling them they're, they're not believers. They're not trusting God. And they make the statement in John eight forty one: we were not born in fornication. That was word on the street. The, the religious elite would throw that out. That was the cloud that was going to hang over Joseph for the rest of his life. It would hang over Mary. It hung over Jesus. And we never find Jesus referring to his virgin birth while on earth. That was part of the stigma. Folks, do we understand that in our day there is a stigma if we are truly going to follow Christ? Jesus told his disciples, marvel not if the world hates you because it hated me. And the servant's not greater than the master. And the more our country moves from its Judeo-Christian foundations that were, were there in the founding, understand the world is going to hate us. If you stand for Christ, there's going to be a lifelong reproach. But the third thing I want us to see in this passage is that God transforms a person with eternal results. This transformation came to Joseph in several ways, and I think it comes to us the, the same way. First of all, by trusting God's Word. You know, now, no matter how deeply Joseph loved Mary or how great his trust for her, it took that divine word, that word from the angel, to truly give him understanding, to remove the questions from his heart. And, and I wonder sometimes if he still had questions. Well, that, that dream, that angel of the Lord that appeared in the dream, it seemed so real at the moment. But when some of those problems came, you wonder, did, did he, well, it seemed real at the time. He was a man of faith. The answer of the virgin birth must have been a tremendous relief to him. And, and it's interesting, and I, I don't want us to miss this, this passage emphasizes the virgin birth over and over in this text. It, it points to the Old Testament prophecy and the virgin birth. In fact, if you want to look in verse 16, it says, Mary, as I mentioned, of whom the feminine pronoun there was born Jesus. Verse 18, before they came together, Again in verse 18, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, verse 20. The virgin shall be with child, verse 23. Verse 25, he did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son. Every one of these is statements of the virgin birth. The supernatural birth speaks then of our supernatural salvation because it took that virgin birth to have somebody who was of the, the lineage of David through Joseph to sit upon the throne of, of David but not be in the line of Jeconiah. Not have his blood in his veins. And as we considered last week, that, that through Mary, who was also of the Davidic line, there was that blood of David in his veins. 
And we see it was God's Word that brought this trust to Joseph. Do we trust God's Word? When, when it seems like a cloud just closes in upon us because of problems, trials, difficulties in life, struggles with sin, do we trust His Word? Well, that's why we need to know God's Word, to be in God's Word, to be resolved that we're going to read His Word and, and, and not just go through the Bible, but allow the Bible to go through us. Do we trust and obey? Because the second thing we see is that personal surrender. The, the transformation comes as he sur surrenders to the will of God through the Word of God. The coming of Jesus radically changed Joseph's life. From this point forward, his life will never be the same. And so when we read in chapter 2 of Matthew that, that the wise men come from the east, and it's probably some time later, and Mary and Joseph and the baby are still in Bethlehem. They hadn't gone back to Nazareth. And it's at that time then the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph again and tells him to flee. And he goes down into Egypt. This was not a business trip. He was no longer looking at how does he develop his carpentry industry. His life is going to be directed by, at that point, protecting the baby. And when he finally does return to Nazareth, it's after the death of Herod. See, the, the coming of Jesus changed everything for Joseph. And Joseph responded to the, the teaching of the Lord in obedience. And that's the third thing that we see, that his life was transformed by faithful obedience. When, when Christ comes into our lives, there is a change. There is a transformation. And it ought to be a radical change. Now, I, I realize if, if you've grown up in church, in a Christian home, in Christian school, you've been in church since the nursery, and there may not be that great change of life that happens for others, but there ought to be a change of direction and a change of desire. When I was a youth pastor, many times in working with Christian school kids, I, I, I quit asking them, have you... Are you saved? Because they all have a date, a time they pray. But I would ask, what changes are there in your life? Because when Christ comes into our life, there are changes. There's a change in our affection. There's a change in our desire. It doesn't mean we don't sin, but we want victory. It doesn't mean Christians don't fall, but Christians get back up. And, and, and so there's going to be that desire. Is there a faithful obedience that's evidenced in your life? I mean, jo Joseph was a man of righteous character. And, and he was prompt in his response. He, he was an ordinary man. He, he had a blue-collar job. But he was faithful. And it says when the baby was born, that Joseph named him. He called his name Jesus. That was a statement of his faith. By naming the child it meant that Joseph Lee officially accepted him as his adopted son. In fact, it says in Isaiah 43, verse 1, the Lord is speaking of our redemption, and it says, I have called you by your name. You are mine. That's what takes place as Joseph names the baby, as the angel directed him. And by giving that name, he provides the legal status to the throne of David. And so it's come through that line, an adopted son, and so Jesus can sit upon the throne of David. You know, Joseph is a man of few words. No words in Scripture, but his actions speak volumes. 
He's a man of integrity. He's a man of faith. He's a man of obedience. He's a man of compassion. He's a man that sets a tremendous example for us. So what can we learn from this passage? I think, first of all, by application, we need to ask ourselves, are you growing in Christ-like character to be used by the Lord? Are we seeking to develop Christ-likeness? That as we look into His face through the Word, that we're being conformed to the image of, of God's Son. Is that us? Joseph's testimony is one that we should follow. We don't know his age. He very well could have been a teenager. We're pretty sure that Mary was a teenager. Do you think Joseph and Mary were rowdy teenagers? Yeah, I don't think so. They were godly teenagers. They were righteous. That was his testimony. That was her testimony as being pure. Folks, it's, it's important that we emulate Christ, not our culture. Don't allow our culture to set the norms of what a child and a teenager and an adult ought to do. Because if you've been born into the family of God, then show that family resemblance of godliness. The Word was made flesh. Jesus Christ, flesh and blood, Mary's child, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but of Mary's flesh and blood. You know, when God was manifest in the flesh, if there was any family resemblance in Jesus, He looked like His mother. That was the look. Hers was the face that Christ had the most resemblance because He was of her flesh and blood. That when we are born into the family of God, we're to emulate our Father. So number two, are you willing to allow the Lord to develop you through personal trials? Trials come into our lives. Some are experiencing those right now. Sometimes they're coming and we don't even know it. But we need to be prepared and realize that God works all things together for our good and for His glory. He's not going to hurt His children unnecessarily. But he's going to do whatever surgery is necessary on our souls that we would be like Jesus. So we need to trust him. We need to surrender. We need to allow him to. And the third thing I would say is, are you resting in biblical hope that transforms your life? If even a righteous man like Joseph needed a Savior, and Mary needed a Savior because she says, I rejoice in God my Savior, then we too. You may be here and say, well, I'm a good person. It's not enough to be good. We need to be right with God, and that comes only through Jesus Christ. Has Jesus Christ revolutionized your life? When He comes in, it's a dramatic change. Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly. We go from death to life. From the bondage of sin to the freedom in Christ. From a child of Satan to a child of God. Are you His child today? See, God will use faithful people to advance the gospel today also. The message of Christ's incarnation, God will use you if you are faithful to advance the gospel message. And since Jesus is the reason for this season, let us give Him the place that He deserves in our homes, in our lives, in our hearts. Is He your Savior this morning? Let's pray together.